This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Today is Wednesday, May 19th, 2021. On this day in 1870, serial killer Albert Fish was born. Decades later, Fish killed and cannibalized at least five children. Welcome to Today in True Crime, a Spotify original from Parcast. I'm Vanessa Richardson, and today I'm joined by our guest host, Alex French of Imposters. He's here to discuss some of the historical aspects of today's story, while I'll cover the narrative. Due to the graphic nature of this killer's crimes, listener discretion is advised. We advise extreme caution for children under 13. Hello, everyone. I'm excited to dive into the birth and deranged life of Albert Fish. Absolutely. Now let's go back to Washington, D.C. on May 19th, 1870. Albert Fish was born to a well-regarded family. His namesake, a distant relative, once served as President Grant's Secretary of State. But the Fishes had their fair share of troubles as well. Many were genetically predisposed to extreme psychiatric illness. In the two generations on either side of Albert, seven of his relatives struggled with severe mental conditions. His uncle died in a state hospital, having endured a strange religious psychosis. His younger brother died when fluid in his brain enlarged his head and caused brain damage. His mother was described as often hallucinating and hearing imaginary voices. Yet for the first few years of his life, Albert Fish was a gentle boy, the type who refused to even step on a fly. Unfortunately, at five years old, his father passed away. His mother took a job to survive and put Fish in an orphanage. He was devastated. Every weekend he tried to run away, but he never managed to succeed. When he got older, Fish apprenticed with a house painter and started work as a handyman. In 1898, at 28 years old, he married a young woman 10 years his junior. She gave birth to six children. The relationship lasted almost two decades, but in 1918, his wife abandoned him to live with another man. She sold all of their belongings and ran off, leaving 48-year-old Fish to tend to all the children. The youngest was three years old at the time. Fish remained a dutiful father and tried desperately to find a companion to help care for the children. He married three more times, but none of them stuck. By 1928, Fish was still making money as a painter and handyman, living a more nomadic lifestyle. On June 3rd of that year, he read an ad posted by an 18-year-old man named Edward Budd, who was looking for work in the country. 
Though he owned no farmland whatsoever, Fish responded to the call in person. He gave an alias of Frank Howard at the door and apparently hired the teenager to help on his non-existent farm outside the city. He painted an idyllic picture of his countryside vineyard. Edward's little sister, 10-year-old Grace, listened with wide eyes. Something about her caught Fish's attention. He told Edward and Grace's parents that his sister was throwing a birthday party for his niece and asked if Grace wanted to attend. He assured Mr. and Mrs. Budd that he loved kids. After all, he had six of his own. He promised to escort the little girl home later that afternoon. Mr. and Mrs. Budd agreed dubiously to let Grace go. Fish led Grace to a train bound toward Westchester County, where the duo made their way to a pre-selected abandoned home known as Wisteria Cottage. When they arrived, Fish told Grace to pick some wildflowers for his niece and told her he'd come to get her soon. He went inside and took off his clothes. When he was ready, he called Grace's name from the window. She came in, saw Fish standing there naked, and screamed. Five minutes later, she was dead. Afterward, Fish dismembered her body and took the remains home. For the next nine days, he cooked pieces of the girl's flesh. Later, he claimed that when he sat down to those meals, he felt sexually excited. A few days before he finished eating her meat, he went back to Wisteria Cottage and tossed the rest of the body over a stone wall behind the house. It would be six years before anyone searched the area for Grace's bones. Coming up, Fish taunts Grace's parents. Wayne Simmons spent 27 years undercover for the CIA. When he retired from spy work, he got a big break. Terrorism analyst on Fox News. Then he met Kent Clisby. So I'm a real CIA guy. This is total nonsense. I'm Alex French, and I'm here to figure out who's telling the truth. Was Wayne Simmons a spy, or was he nothing but a con man? Imposters is a Spotify original from Parcast. Follow and listen exclusively on Spotify. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all. But it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. On May 19, 1870, serial killer Albert Fish was born. He murdered a 10-year-old little girl named Grace and cannibalized her in 1928. Now my guest host, Alex, will take over the rest of Fish's story. Thanks, Vanessa. For the next six years, the police struggled to unearth clues about the murder. Then, in 1934, the victim's mother received a brutally cruel letter from Fish. It read, And so I came to your flat on the third day of June, 1928. And under the pretense of taking your daughter to a party at my sister's, I took her to an empty house up here, and I choked her to death. I cut her up and ate a part of her flesh. 
When Grace's mother showed authorities the letter, she remembered that Fish had looked wholesome and meek. He was a tiny old man, gentle and polite. She couldn't fathom what had driven him to murder. Authorities immediately set to work catching the killer. Though the ominous message was unsigned, it did contain Fish's return address. He tried to ink it out, but it failed, leading police straight to his door. When they caught him, he confessed right away. He even led investigators to the scene of Grace's murder and pointed out her bones behind the garden wall. His trial began on December 13, 1934. The court determined Fish derived erotic pleasure from body parts. In fact, there was no recognized perversion he didn't practice regularly. Fish said, I always had a desire to inflict pain on others and to have others inflict pain on me. I always seemed to enjoy everything that hurt. He also spoke of the sexual nature of his cannibalistic desire. He claimed to have killed and eaten at least 100 children. He offered them cash in most cases, but explained he had to attack them in others. His targets were mostly children from lower income families. He said he specifically chose black victims and homeless victims because law enforcement paid less attention when they went missing. He later told reporters he was compelled to torture and kill children. At one point, he even said God instructed him to castrate little boys. Fish was convicted of murder in 1935. Though privately they discussed his apparent insanity, the jury deemed him legally sane and sentenced him to death by the electric chair. While in prison, Fish wrote that his cell was pleasant, friendly, and light. His only problem was the man in the neighboring cell, who he said prevented him from quietly reading his Bible. In his final days, he claimed that he carried the burden of Grace's murder in particular on his mind always. He said, five minutes after she was dead, I'd have given every drop of blood to bring her back to life. I felt so sorry. On January 16th, 1936, Fish was executed. His crimes were as disturbing as they were surprising. To those who knew Albert Fish in life, he seemed to be a warm, caring father. But underneath his docile veneer lurked a gut-wrenching horror. His story should serve to remind children and their parents everywhere not to trust errant strangers, no matter how friendly they may appear. Thanks for listening to Today in True Crime. I'm Vanessa Richardson. Thanks again to Alex French for joining me today. Thanks for having me. You can find my podcast, Imposters, only on Spotify. For more information on Albert Fish, amongst the sources we used, we found the book Albert Fish in His Own Words, edited by John Borowski, extremely helpful to our research. You can find more episodes of Today in True Crime and all other Spotify originals from Parcast for free on Spotify. We'll be back with a brand new episode tomorrow in True Crime. Today in True Crime is a Spotify original from Parcast. It is executive produced by Max Cutler, sound designed by Russell Nash, with production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Trent Williamson, Carly Madden, and Bruce Gitovich. This episode of Today in True Crime was written by John Levinson, with writing assistance by Terrell Wells, and fact-checking by Cheyenne Lopez. Today in True Crime stars Alex French and Vanessa Richardson. Vanessa Richardson